Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. This podcast is brought to you by the Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach. Dr. Sturette is a movement and mobility coach for players in the NFL, MLB, NHL, and NBA, plus a doctor of physical therapy. Kelly has created a program called Virtual Mobility Coach. Every day, Virtual Mobility Coach gives you guided mobility videos. It walks you step-by-step through Kelly's proven techniques to relieve pain, improve range of motion, and improve performance. Try it completely free for two weeks, and if you decide to continue, you can get 10% off for life using the promo code PROJECT10. Hurry up, because the code expires October 1st. Welcome to another episode of the Project Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with someone beyond just a guest. Today, I'm sitting down with a friend, a longtime friend who started off as a colleague, and this colleague has taken himself from the basic level of personal training, has advanced through the management role, has then broadened his own education, moved on into studying things such as pain science, such as that next step for personal trainers, and just an absolute all-around good human being. Today, I'm sitting down with one of my best friends, Etienne Assassin. Etienne, how you doing, bro? Did I, did I get it right this time? Amazing. Yes, you, you <laughs> nailed the last name, that's for sure. <laughs> Thanks for the intro. I appreciate it. Uh, so nice to have you on here today. You and I have chatted so much uh, in the past about training. I don't know how many hours have you and I sat down and talked exercise, training, the business. I would honestly say I've talked to it uh, to you more than anyone else. Anyone mm. else in my career, we've talked training so much. And it, it kind of just, th- this podcast started with you being my first unofficial official guest. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. With the coffee with Chris's, right? That's right. And you were our very first guest on there. And it was, it was, it was time. It was time to get you on here. Now is the perfect time to have you on here. Etienne was recently on um, a coaching call I had with a lot of my powerlifters, my strength athlete, and uh, just hit a home run educating them about pain and educating them about pain science, which for personal trainers is something we're completely left in the dark in the fitness Mm -hmm. industry, completely left in the dark, really. There's always different sides that I hear, such as, you know, if it hurts, don't do it. But then we hear, well, to get results, you need to exercise until it hurts. So a lot of people are probably really confused. And you're the man who's going to set it straight today. We're going to hear it live from your mouth. Let's start right off at the top here. You know, like what is pain? What is pain science? And let's move with that. Okay. Um, Man, uh, so thank you. Um, like I said, for the intro, and then also it's just really fun to do this with one of my boys, you know, we go way back. So, uh, I think today's going to be a lot of fun. I got a, I got a, your boy's question. I got, this is your boy's question. Did you see on the Olympics? Did you see the Olympics, the two high jumpers that shared the gold medal? I didn't see that. No, no. So, so here's the story. Two high jumpers. They both get the exact same jump. They didn't miss anything. They are allowed to have a jump off, keep going until someone makes and someone misses. And then one guy gets gold, one guy gets silver, but there's a technical rule. And it says if they both decide to, they can both split the gold medal. Now, these guys are friends. So they ask them, what do you want to do? And they're like, we'll both split the gold medal. That's amazing. You and me, high jump, Olympics, the Olympic champion. Yeah, I would that- take you down 100%. <laughs> I wouldn't split it. <laughs> you son of a bitch. I'm just saying. I'm just just because you know you can outjump me by about three. Humans. It's the calves, man. It's the calves. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So where were we? So pain. Uh, w- one of the like foremost researchers or leaders in this field is name is Lorimer Mosley, um, and I know you've been following his work uh, a good amount over the last year or so. He would define pain as being an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience that is linked to actual or potential tissue damage basically. Mm -hmm. So pain is just a sensation. It's not necessarily an indicator that something is broken um, or even necessarily that something needs to be changed or fixed uh, in particular through the lens of mechanics. Um, And that really flies in the face of what we're taught. You know, we're, we're taught if something hurts, uh, it's usually an indicator that something is wrong. And what we're finding more and more is that that's not necessarily 
true. And we can really unpack that a lot today. Um, I think we've got time. So uh, I think that'd be fun. But basically, it's an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience that is linked to either actual or potential tissue damage. Um, and that's where it gets kind of hairy because, like, especially when it comes to the literature, there's a lot of mixed results um, stemming from the literature. Uh, mechanical interventions sometimes work and sometimes they fall flat. Then on can, you the flip give side, a, a, can you give a quick example of each one, like when you say mechanical? Like, sure, like even surgery. You know, like let's say someone has a diagnosed uh, meniscal tear or there's like visible, like testable with like an anterior drawer test of the knee that there's laxity of the ACL and you go in and you fix it, you tighten things up, you clean things up. And yet it happens often that people will still hurt, even though we're cleaning up the issue. And then also on the flip side, there's been lots of uh, research and literature coming out encouraging like education as being a primary strategy to help get people out of pain. And when we're educating people, we're not changing anything mechanically. So I think what we're finding right now is we're kind of, um, we're on the precipice of, I think, really understanding the complexity and the nuance behind the pain experience. And I think it's becoming more and more accepted that, um, that, that pain is just one of those things that is influenced by a whole host of factors, mechanics being one, but also our psychological and our emotional states, the amount of trauma that we've had in our lives and those types of things. And when we start to take that into account, we really, in my mind, it really sheds light on the power of the fitness industry. When we start looking at like the fact that we really on the front lines of healthcare are influencing some of those things not just how good someone looks naked, but how they feel about themselves and, and how they relate to the world. It's really profound, the work that we do. Mm -hmm. When you mentioned before about like me mechanical interference or mechanical components of it with pain, mm -hmm. um, my, my brain first went to thinking about um, assistance tools, such as like foam rollers, right? You got your massage gun and stuff. Because sometimes you hear people say, oh, I've got this thing. Then they start jabbing with the gun. They're like, oh, it's gone away. But then it comes back. And it's like this mm -hmm. loop of, of never ending. And you find that with so many different tools in the fitness industry that must play a role <clears throat> somewhere with the sensation of pain and what's good, what's bad, what's too much, what's too little. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think if I understand correctly, the thing that's the thing that's kind of frustrating with those things is it's kind of hit and miss. Like I've had, I, I had a client. I think this was in like my third year of training at Good Life. This guy came in, he was the husband of a client of mine who was like in line for knee replacement. And the only thing that I knew to do was to roll quads. That's all I did. So I encouraged him to foam roll his quads. And then the next day he didn't hurt anymore. And he hasn't needed to get a knee replacement from doing foam rolling, like just foam rolling his quadriceps. Mm -hmm. But as you know, sometimes there's people that have knee pain and you follow that same intervention and sometimes it falls flat. And for some people, it actually makes it worse. Why is and that? <clears throat> honestly, I, I have no idea. And I, and I think it's one of those things that like you need, you need a client in front of you and you just need to be comfortable with nuance. Mm -hmm. Like I, I very much, my perspective on fitness and rehabilitation is that there isn't necessarily... Um, one tool that is inherently objectively better than anything. Every single tool provides a very unique stimulus. And the question is essentially what's going to be your way in with a client for some clients, they're responsive and some they're not. Sometimes it makes sense. And sometimes we, it, it doesn't make sense. And it might be that it's random. And it might also be that we just don't have the knowledge and the perspectives to understand it now. And we might understand it tomorrow. And and that's where I think the scientific method is something that we really need to lean into in that we, we as an industry tend to bias things that have evidence already, but we need to remember that the scientific method isn't exclusively what we understand now, but it's about remaining, like having an open spirit to be able to lean into and being comfortable with leaning into anecdotal evidence. Um, and that that is sometimes enough and we don't necessarily need to understand why. Mm -hmm. When someone comes in to see you, I imagine, because you, you do a lot of the rehabilitation role and so forth, when mm. people come in with injuries, 
what's the difference sometimes between a direct injury and you mentioned before the pain is just a form of sensation. What is mm -hmm. the difference between the two? How would we know? Uh, between whether or not it's a mechanical thing or if it's just quote unquote in their head. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, in, in my mind, the truth is that it's always in their head. Um, and whether or not someone gets better due to us influencing mechanical variables or not is impossible to know. Like, for instance, let's say you're my client, you come in and you've got knee pain. It's possible that one of the contributing factors to the degree to which your knee is hurting is joint centration. So like the integrity of contact surfaces as you're going down in a squat. It's possible that by me strapping a band around your knee and as you're squatting, I kind of yank on your knee a little bit and do like some reactive stabilization drills or however you want to, you know, however you want to label it. It's possible that that makes you feel better. Now, why is that? Is it because we are addressing neural components that are improving the centration of the joint and therefore it's not triggering pain? Maybe. Is it possible that you're not hurting because you trust me so much as a clinician and for the first time you felt heard, you know, mm -hmm. um, and you have so much confidence in what we're doing, uh, that in a way the pain response itself becomes dampened, um, because pain itself is rooted in predictive processing, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, you know, or perhaps it's me telling you, Hey, we're working on uh, you know, improving the integrity of the contact surfaces of your knee and this exercise is going to do it. And so therefore it has a very favorable placebo effect. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden you don't hurt. Mm -hmm. The truth is, is that we just, we never know. We never know. Um, mm -hmm. And, and that sometimes can be frustrating, but I think there's a lot of power in just becoming comfortable with like, okay, great. How can we, how can we modify your symptoms in a favorable manner? Like I've got essentially a bag of tricks and there's certain hints, for instance, that I'll look for in your language and in how you hold yourself that can help shed light on perhaps how threatened or stressed you are in a given circumstance. But other than that, really all that I lean into is, does this yield a favorable outcome for you? Yes or no. And I'm kind of not attached to what caused it. The only thing mm -hmm. that really matters for me is the end result for that client period. Mm -hmm. I can attest to that <clears throat> using it as a, using it as a trainer, using it as a client as well. And you and I go back in the day, my story was with my knee pain. Yeah. I yeah. remember I had this knee pain and then it only hurt when I squatted over 400 pounds. No problem with 395. Yeah. Once you get four and above, how that hurts. And it just didn't go away. So then I'm like, I just got to go get it checked out. When I got it checked out, they did a little muscle test or like your quads are weak. I'm like, uh, I don't know. Like in the test they did, they stood, they sat on my leg and I'm like, who can leg extend a human being with one leg? Like everyone's like quads are weak in that scenario. <laughs> this is audio. They can't, they're not gonna be able to see your hand raised, but <laughs> he put his hand up. <laughs> but then I went to another guy and he's like, he's like, yeah, you should take up running. Squatting's bad for you. I'm like, all right. So I went and saw another guy and he's like, you're going to need a knee replacement in five years. I'm like, whoa, whoa. Like I can do everything that anybody else can do yeah. except i get pain when i squat 400 mm -hmm. and then that same guy's like here's a here's like a cortisone shot boom like nothing else, like with no other didn't ask me many questions I said hey you want this this will take away your pain and it wasn't until i saw someone i went and saw dr ken kanak and yeah and I, I drove out to see him he's in mississauga so from Ottawa, mississauga like that's a road trip for an appointment mm -hmm. and when i walked in i told him all my stuff he looked at my knee he did like a quick little five minutes he's like ah you're fine. So what do yeah. you mean? He says, I've seen so much worse, so yeah. much worse and come back and be able to do more than what you can do now. He's like, yeah. you'll be okay. We found joint laxity in my knee and he just gave me a couple concepts and things to do to get rid of. But the, the main thing that he gave me, he was the first guy to, or first person to tell me you'll be okay. Yeah. He gave you hope. And that is, hope. that is the sign of a brilliant clinician. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Brilliant is that we need to understand, we need to, uh, quite commonly, we need to interrupt the loops that clients get in. Mm -hmm. um, and quite often it creates self-fulfilling prophecies, right? Like something, something happens, we believe we're broken, and then we project that notion into the future, which is, uh, you know, we, we feel fragile, et cetera. And like I mentioned earlier, um, the human organism is a, is a pattern recognition and prediction machine. We use mm -hmm. past experience to inform what will happen in the future. 
Um, and that that really like therein lies in, in my mind, the entire thought process that we need to work with to get people out of pain. We need to create environments of hopeful narratives that will happen in the future so that the body doesn't feel the need to create pain to protect us. That's, that's really the whole thing. And so it starts like the, the intervention starts with the first conversation, the first like amount of eye contact and the amount of confidence that you have in your, in your clinician. And then also a lot of the things that they tell you, like, for instance, like Ken telling you, Oh dude, like no big deal. You'll be fine. hundred percent. You'll be fine. Completely changes what you think is possible and how you identify with your own, with your own body mm-hmm. completely changes it. 100%. And then from there, that's fertile ground in which you can work. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> one of the issues, once again, within within uh, the rehabilitative space is that it is very mechanical. And there's a lot of literature that shows that there's a lot of people that don't hurt that have very real mechanical quote unquote issues, you know, degenerative, uh, degenerative changes and those types of things. Um, and so like, as a, I would say, as an industry, we tend to take these mechanical things and use them as scapegoats to explain why people hurt. Mm-hmm. But it's really challenging to infer causation when there's so much literature that flies in the face of that. Is this, no. um, is this the example that clients will get when they're like, oh, something hurts? You know, they go, they see their doctor, they send them to the physio. A few weeks later, nothing really gets better. They go back, see the doctor. They send them for an x-ray. Nothing shows up. They go back, see the doctor. They get the MRI. We're now at month seven. Mm-hmm. Month seven comes back and says, oh, there's a meniscus. There's, there's tearing in the meniscus, right? Or you got, a, you got a bulging disc in your mm-hmm. back, right? Or you got degenerative disc disease. Then all of a sudden the world shattered and they're waiting for surgery. Mm-hmm. Is this kind of the common thing? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you know, if you put yourself into the shoes of that client, it's, it's a terrible experience. It's, it's terrible. It is like, it lacks hope. It lacks optimism. Um, and it encourages notions that they're broken and feelings of fragility. And even if you think like, if you think you're fragile, what's the likelihood that you're going to pursue certain activities over if someone feels like they're not fragile? Like it's, it's predictable. The, the ripple effects of how damaging those narratives are on um, the activities that we pursue. And then also just the quality of someone's like psychological and emotional state. Like um, I'm, I'm kind of of the advocate that you know, catastrophizing injuries almost borders on malpractice because mm-hmm. in the vast majority of cases, you're hurting people with those um, statements and hypotheses um, more so than, than, than helping in my mind. And I've seen a lot of people uh, within my own practice who have been told, you know, that there's, there's no meniscus, there's no cartilage, uh, you're doomed, you need you know, you need surgery, you do all those things and they could barely walk up the stairs. And then within a week, they're sprinting up the stairs, you know, do you know, who comes and- to mind when you say that you, you and I train the husband and wife, you train the wife. I train the husband, Mark and Lynn. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, let's just say their name, Mark. Hey, Mark. So one time, uh, Mark comes into the gym and he's like, he's like, Hey, like my leg feels a little bit funny. Um, I just felt it last night. Nothing too bad though. So, okay. He goes, can you have a look? And he like rolled his pant leg up and he had like a 16 inch bruise on the back of his hamstring. And it was like eight inches wide. His entire leg was like black and blue. I'm like, Mark, you've torn your hamstring. What happened? Right. He's like, what? Like he just had no idea. I think he was playing hockey and he like fell or something and like pulled something. Right. Right. Got up, kept playing. You know, he played like two days later. Right. It wasn't until like a week had gone by. He's like, Hey, I think something's wrong, but Mm -hmm. he has the mental capacity to be like, yeah, you could tell me something's bad, but he's not going to believe it because he's going to go and go on and do what he does. Like he's mentally strong, very strong. He's not going to let a meniscus tear stop him from playing hockey. When sometimes you might want to put the brakes on when it's really serious, but there's an example when, when he just says, he's like, Oh, it's not so bad. He can go through almost anything. Yeah, for sure. And, and this is like, honestly, like for me, this is where I start with all of my clients. The assessment starts with a phone call and the assessment starts with the language they use to explain their issue and whether or not they're identifying with it or not, and whether or not they view it as being transient. So Mm -hmm. even language like my bad shoulder or my bad knee tells me about 
like their belief systems about how strong or lack thereof that that area is, you know, um, and uh, yeah, and that's often that's often where it starts. And some clients, as I'm sure you've probably noticed, some clients are they have like the capacity for you to challenge them on those notions directly. Like some mm-hmm. clients, you can be like, "Hey, listen, like I'm noticing this, you know, I'm noticing X, Y, or Z." Um, in my experience the opposite of true is, is true. And here's perhaps some literature and I've done that, <clears throat> but then there's other clients that are so identified with their injury that they will almost fight you on it. They're like, no, you don't understand. This is why I hurt, you know? And in the vast majority of instances, until you can start to flip that narrative in my experience healing, and I'm, you know, you can't see me listening to the audio, but I'm doing air quotes, healing in air quotes, um, can't occur until someone believes that their injury is transient in nature. And for that reason, I tend to, instead of using the, the, the words injury, I tend to use the word sensitized. So your knee is just sensitized right now. It's not that something is broken. It's just sensitive. Similarly to a sunburn, you know, you go out, you get too much sun, your skin's a little pink. It hurts a little bit. Let's give yourself some time. Maybe don't go out into the sun as much and you'll be fine. You know, mm-hmm. using different narratives and, and stories to get people to buy into the notion that what they're experiencing is actually transient in my mind is absolutely essential. And there's some people that just get it. Like you're talking about with Mark, like, yeah, like he has just that type of quality of person, mm-hmm. but there's other people that that's just not what they're at, where they're at at that point in their lives. And then the tricky thing is how can you get them there? Mm-hmm. You, I mentioned about you in the beginning. I said, you, you're just your energy. You're one of the best guys out there, you know, in the room, you light up a room. People like having a conversation. Um, we usually talk a lot of shit about you behind your back, um, but to your <laughs> face, we no, just kidding. But no, you light up the room. I knew you're, it. You're a great guy. So to me, it makes no like it, it's obvious that people would work with you. The first thing you would do is have a conversation with them make them feel comfortable, try to build some trust between you two, which doesn't happen in with all professionals. You build the trust with someone. Let's say that's step one, which sounds like it's what you do. You do the assessment and you, do, you build the trust. That's step one. Mm-hmm. Step two then is when you start to work with someone who's got an injury, who's got some pain and stuff, how important and where does the mechanical part come from or your understanding of mechanics, how you can apply it to someone who's running around with some pain or an injury? Yeah. Yeah. So this is where I find there's so much value in doing in having a wide breadth of knowledge and tools that you can pull from. Because for instance, um, to, to answer your question, depending on, depending on the conversation, that'll give me a way in. I'll, I'll try something. So if someone thinks we're talking about knees a lot today, so let's keep going with that. If someone thinks that their knees are fragile, I will do a series of tests from anterior to posterior drawer tests for their ACL, their PCL. I'll check their ligaments. I'll check the degree to which they have crepitus in their knee. And more often than not, I'll find that there isn't much on the side that hurts. And I'll use that data to show them, man, like it's great, you know, like not necessarily that your injury is invalid, but I'll, I'll use that data to show them, like, look how strong your knee is. Like, I just checked all of your ligaments, like, and your, your meniscus and all those things, like everything looks really good. And it's not necessarily a a fully like comprehensive exam, but it starts to paint a picture where they Mm -hmm. can start to, to, they start to have evidence in their life. Like, it's not just something that I'm telling them. They have evidence and experience in their life that their knee is okay. Um, That's sometimes where I start, you know, Um, scars in my mind are a really powerful rehabilitative tool, skin being the largest sensory organ really that we have on the body. And so scars tend to have a really powerful symptom modification or analgesic effect on the body. Like I had a a client whose neck and shoulders always hurt. And I did a little bit of like scar work. And what I mean, scar work is like just lightly rubbing the scar that she had on her upper back and her neck pain and shoulder pain went away like instantaneously. And I was like, that's interesting, you know, because like yep, man's you, got magic hands. Yeah, I, well, I mean, the question that naturally flows outwards from that is it's like, am I, when I'm rubbing your scar, am I changing anything when it comes to the health and the integrity of your shoulders and your neck? Yes or no? And the obvious answer is no. Yeah. Right. So then it's like, okay, well, I mean, are your shoulders and neck broken then? If me rubbing a scar 
makes your pain go from like a seven or an eight down to a zero. What's that tell you about your condition? And I let, I let that marinate more, more often than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I'll usually piggyback on the, on like the conclusions that they're coming to, but like the fact that we can modulate it that powerfully in the short term is giving me a lot of hope that we'll be able to make some long-term changes here. We just need to make this permanent through repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that really paves the way for the rest of the rehabilitative or healing process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your, your training and your background is, is not the same as everyone else's. You've done a handful of different things. You, you wanted to look at a dead body. Yeah. Exciting. Done that a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you talk about that for a quick second. How'd you get into that? Why did you get into that? And then how you got into teaching it? Oh man. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for asking that. Um, it sounds super morbid, but the, the cadaver <laughs> workshops have been some of the best experiences of my life. Um, I got into it as, as you know, I did my mastery designation with RTS in the States. Um, RTS stands for resistance training specialist. Um, so I did their mastery. That's, that, you know what? That, that's kind of funny. Cause sometimes the way I eat carbs, I feel like a resistance training specialist, resistance insulin, but um, that's fine. That's me. Okay. Um, I'm just going to pretend like that didn't happen. Uh, so yeah, so I, <laughs> I did, I, I did their six month program in the States. And then through doing that, I met some like brilliant, absolutely brilliant minds. Uh, one of which is Joseph D'Antonis, who is based out of Pittsburgh and he was offering cadaver workshops and, um, yeah, he and I just really headed off. He was talking about, uh, like the intricacies of functional anatomy and things that we just don't experience in 2d when you're looking at a book or when you're looking at a screen, you know, he was telling me about like the thickness of the psoas and the thickness of the rotator cuff in relation to a relatively thin lat. And I was just like, what? Like, that's not how it looks in books, you know? So, um, he piqued my curiosity and I started doing it, um, uh, myself, uh, one of our, and one of our mutual friends, Jeff, and another friend of mine, Lorenz, we drove down to Pittsburgh, um, for a one day cadaver dissection experience with Joseph. Um, and it was absolutely amazing. It completely changed how, um, uh, yeah, it completely changed my, my, my practice overnight. <clears throat> like you go from imagining tissue in 2d to imagining it in 3d and really being able to see like the differences mechanically, um, in the tissues, um, yeah, has been absolutely amazing. And then from there, it was like, trainers need to know this. You know, if you think about the, the, the frequency at which we see our clients, which is substantially more frequent than most medical professions, physio, chiro, et cetera, it's not a knock on them. It's just the truth. We, we see our clients more frequently. In addition to that, we have massive influence just due to our relational depth with our clients. So I was like, with that amount of power, like we need to better understand what we're doing. Um, and I kind of equate it to, uh, you know, like, would you trust your car mechanic if they had never looked under the hood? Like, I probably wouldn't, you know, or I would trust them less. So in my mind, fitness professionals need to have an opportunity to see that stuff. Um, your mechanic is, uh, looking at YouTube the night before he's taking yeah. your car. <laughs> What's an alternator? <laughs> yeah. You know? And so, and you know, yeah, exactly. They're learning off of YouTube or Instagram, how to, how to fix your car. Like that would be a little bit concerning yet. The, I would say that that's probably the reality in the majority of our industry. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Th- so the cadaver exploration workshop was really the first course that I've, that I started offering. Um, in Ottawa. And uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a cadaver workshop for personal trainers based out of um, Ottawa U. Mm-hmm. And you get to look, and if you'd like, touch and manipulate um, the human body of individuals who have donated their bodies to science. And it's honestly absolutely amazing. I, I don't know if, have you ever had an, an opportunity to do anything like that? Not yet? live, not live. We watched, um, oh, we watched the videos through uh, FST training. That's right. Stuff. Yeah, right. Saw- that's right. Saw them dislocate a hip of an opened an open cadaver. Hey, watch right. it. Yeah. Out and in. Yeah. And yeah. Just the just the sound when it went back in was like Yeah, for sure. This is how powerful and strong everything is keeping a hip in place. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's I, I didn't turn right or left for like the next day and a half. I'm only I stayed sagittal just in case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. It's it's amazing. And uh, I really think it has the 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 potential to re- revolutionize someone's practice. Um, 
Are you going to be running those um, in the upcoming year here in Ottawa? Do yeah. like COVID and stuff? Is that up Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's right now. The, the issue is that <clears throat> like when it comes wouldn't to logistics, you wear a mask anyway, <laughs> like they're them bombed bodies, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it really depends. Like pre COVID it was really, it was an option mm-hmm. um, uh, in Canada. The standards in terms of like air filtration in the labs are way typically better, I would say than that in the States. Um, so there really isn't much odor mm. in the Ottawa U lab in comparison to some of the labs that I went into in the States. Um, so the odor is relatively, uh, relatively minimal, but sometimes it can help for sure. Um, but yeah, man, like once, once the university gives me the green light, absolutely. I'm going to be running them again. They've been super powerful for me and my students. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. You originally started off as a PT mm-hmm. and then you've gone into this whole other space now where you're, you're doing PT, you're doing rehab, you're paying science, you're the exercise mechanic, you got your podcast, got an internship. We're going to talk a little bit about that later and stuff, but your role on the fitness industry is where it's most, most impressive and things that have changed over the years. PT is underappreciated, right? You know, you said this yourself, it's underappreciated. The roles we play, it's more than just sets and reps a little bit, right? Because we're working with people physically, we're working with people psychologically. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the role today? Where do you think it should be tomorrow? Mm. Uh, I think where we are right now is where, like I mentioned before, we're an industry with a tremendous amount of power and consequently a tremendous amount of individual responsibility on mm-hmm. fitness professionals to continue to educate themselves with a, with, within various platforms, podcasts like yours and continuing education. Um, every single individual fitness professional in my mind needs to do their due diligence to do that. And it's not necessarily, uh, not necessarily the case, but in for career-driven fitness professionals, in my mind, there tends to be this innate draw to learn just because we love what we do. Mm-hmm. Like career-driven trainers are just obsessed with, with their craft. And um, yeah, those people are really, I think, moving the needle. In terms of where we should be, you know, that's a, that's a, really, that's a really loaded question. I mean, like, I think there's a lot of people that would say that we need more regulation, which I don't inherently disagree with. But I also think there's benefits to the lack of regulation too. And that the fact that we don't have hard lines that we need to stay within, Mm -hmm. it leads to us being able to take a very dynamic, um, for lack of a better term, very artful approach to working with people that isn't constrained by hard lines. Yeah. Innovative too, right? Exactly. But, but, but so it's like, that's the potential benefit, but it requires such tremendous individual responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that would be my answer. I mean, I think it, it would honestly, it would be great if we, if there was more mandated uh, uh, continuing education, if the certification process was more thorough, you mm-hmm. know, because we have everything from weekend certified trainers in our industry to individuals with uh, kin degrees and more and CSEP. We, we've, we've got all of that under one roof. And I think it would be really great to have perhaps a slightly elevated standard of basic education. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be really great. But also one of my concerns would be that we would lose our capacity, like you said, to innovate um, if those lines become a little bit too rigid. It's very true. And I, I do like the, the freedom and the flexibility to do the innovation stuff, but it, it mm-hmm. can get out of control. And sometimes people can, unfortunately, people can get hurt from it if the wrong people are innovating totally. the, wrong, the wrong stuff, right? Yeah. And like, I'm yeah. like, we, mm-hmm. I won't name where we saw this, but like, you know, we've seen like fitness professionals throwing tennis balls at their clients like dogs for them to run around and chase them. Like we've, we've seen everything from really, 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 you know who I'm talking about. I'm pretty sure we've seen very, I forget that. Yeah. We've (laughs) seen very skilled people that are really making a tremendous impact in the world. And we've also Mm -hmm. seen the complete other end of the spectrum. And um, so perhaps, yeah, there's the individual responsibility piece, but there's also management. Like people just need to, I think if we can foster individuals having a greater appreciation for the impact that they actually have in people's lives. Hopefully the natural ripple effect of that is that people take things a little bit more seriously. Okay. Um, yeah. I got, what do you think? I got, uh, what do you do I think? think? Yeah. Are you, you flipping it around? No one flips yeah. it around on me here. Yeah. yeah. You're welcome. I think that I'm going to set you up for a question here and you're probably going to answer it the way I want it to be. Anyway, we'll see. So let me, <laughs> let me, let me do this. I got a magic wand. You ready? I got a magic wand. You are the king of the world. You're the king of the world. Money is no longer an issue. You're going to create a system. 
you're going to create something that you feel every trainer should be able to do. Whether it's every trainer should be able to, mechanics, nutrition, psychology, whatever it is. And you're going to say, this is now the school and we're going to offer training in these areas. Anyone who graduates and has a basic understanding, basic understanding of these areas will be equipped to be a great personal trainer. What do you think those areas need to be? Every personal trainer needs to have these areas. King of the world. You're the king of the world. For sure. For sure. So what I would do, uh, what I would do is I would start off with, with essentially good enough. So I would start off with systems that in my, and in the experience of other professionals would be good enough to get the ball rolling. That would be step one because people like we, we need to be able to get in reps to be able to learn. It's like, it's really a part of the learning process is mm-hmm. application. So I would say that that would be one of the first pillars. The second, the, the subsequent pillars would be functional anatomy, anatomy that moves beyond just anatomical position. Um, because really like muscles have no allegiance to any kind of cardinal plane of moving in the sagittal frontal or transverse planes. They just pull and it changes based off of where we are in space. So I think uh, the uh, fitness professionals having a good appreciation of that is really essential. Um, uh, the process of force application. Um, so IE exercise mechanics, which is biomechanics, but also the, the, uh, the, the process of force application when it comes to different implements like dumbbells, machines, et cetera. Absolutely. We need to understand the stresses we're imposing on people. Um, the third, I'm basically just talking about the internship right now. The third is, <laughs> is, is neuroscience, pain science. Um, in my experience, um, coming from someone that used to be very attached to the mechanical domain, you know, like, and you know that about me, it was like mm-hmm. very mechanics, 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 but then eventually there were holes and those gaps in positive client outcomes led me to the study of neuroscience and pain science. So I would say that that would be the third domain. And then the fourth that I would say has to do with like behavioral psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and how does, how does the psyche of human beings work? Um, and I'll add one more to that, which would be coaching, which is how can we more effectively use our voice to help people get what they want? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I would say. If I had a magic wand, it would be, it would be very thorough. Right, that's very cool thorough. school. I'd like to enroll. Super cool school. Ease cool school for fitness <laughs> professionals could call it. Um, what was it? Uh, I remember before I launched my podcast, I was talking to you about names and you pitched a name uh, for my podcast. Do you remember what it was? No. What, 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 what would I say? Ah, it was Mr. Fixie Fix. Mr. Fixie Fix <laughs> or Dr. Fixie Fix or something along those lines. I, I, honestly, man, I was like this close, like, so, so, so close to taking that as name of the podcast. I, I bet the domain is available online. I bet it's available. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mr. Fixie Fix. GoDaddy.com um, for Fixie Fix. Da- yeah. Yeah. Some people call me GoDaddy. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. So I would say, man, honestly, like systems, anatomy, uh, mechanics, neuroscience, psychology, and then also coaching. Um, I don't, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I really find that that's one of the things that's the most surprising in our industry is that we actually don't have a lot of coaching on how to coach. Yeah, we don't. There's not, if you're to, th- to think about like our primary tool isn't dumbbells or even body weight, like our primary tools are voice, mm-hmm. you know, and I find that really surprising. And I feel like there's a lot of uh, room for innovation. Mm-hmm. When it comes to like teaching influence and how to coach and how to nurture our clients to, to help them get what they are signing up for, you know, the interaction and the communication is so important. And you and I have seen it so many times where people have the right idea. They, they read the right book. They know exactly what they want their client to do, mm-hmm. but they have zero idea how to get that across to them. They mm-hmm. show them, they tell them. The client looks at them, totally confused, doesn't do it ideally. They stop them. They say, no, do it like this. And they might have one or two cues to use, one or two different ways of explaining it. And if it's not picked up and it's not understood by the client, they both just sit there and stare at each other awkwardly. Mm-hmm. And then you just wait. And then nothing, nothing happens. Either they continue with the movement and they force it upon them when they shouldn't. And they just they let down their level of comfort for the client. So let's say they want the exercise to look like A. They realize the client cannot do it like A. They let them do it not ideally because they don't know any other way around it. Mm -hmm. When sometimes it's just easy enough to be like, we're just not doing that move. 
mm-hmm. right? Like sometimes you have to take a step back and say, I just do not know how to get you here. But yeah. if you have the communication skills and the coaching skills, a lot of yeah. times you can use it. I always think of runway of progression and regression. Mm. You know, what kind of runway do you have? If you want to take someone to being able to do an overhead press, you can break that down. Break, what does an overhead press looks like? Okay, you need to have a certain amount of shoulder flexion. You need to have a little bit of this. You need to have some control here. If you're going to be pressing with a dumbbell, you need some form of um, stability, right? If you're sitting or standing, there's components there. You got to go with a runway. And you can start them off at the basic level. First off, can you raise your arm overhead? For sure. Yes. Check mark, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you just go through these series to eventually get to that point. But sometimes I think we jump into, or, or fitness professionals, they just jump right into the exercise without having a map prior or a step system, this, then this, then this, then this. And yeah. once you've coached them all the way through, you know, it's good to go, but it's hard for the ego. You know, well, okay, so I love that you said that word because that's really, I think the, the thing that, that gets people stuck is that even like as fitness professionals, there's a way, there's, there's, there's a way that we are attached to doing things. And when it doesn't work, like like so it can, it can be irritating. It can piss people off. Like I've been there. Mm-hmm. I got, I was at a point and I'm so grateful that I didn't do this. I was at a point where a client that I was working with a few years ago, it was so, I was getting so irritated because like things just weren't working. And like the, the, the relationship, the client trainer dynamic was just not clicking. I was this close to letting go over, man. Um, because I was like, no, I don't want to do things that way. Like, like you will not walk all over me or whatever, these types of things. And then finally I asked myself, I was like, what's like, why am I here? Why am I doing this work? The reason why I'm doing this is for her. So who do I need to be to help her get what she wants? Right. Mm-hmm. Exclusively. That's all that matters. And the moment that I started to shift that thought process, everything changed. Like everything changed where I would say like, I still work with her to this day. And she's like one of my best clients, I would say best clients where like, we really get along we're making really great progress and I'm really getting through to her, mm-hmm. you know, but I almost missed that opportunity because I was for lack of a better term, I was butthurt, mm-hmm. you know, my ego was fragile because I liked getting things right. In contrast to being cool with like, this isn't fucking working. I need to change my, my approach, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so yeah, egos get in the way all the time. Mm-hmm. I think over time you build you build that, um, that skill set of options. Mm. And then sometimes you got to be, you got to be okay. You got to be okay with not having a super high standard for yourself. I, I think there's different, there's, like dif- there's different professions where that's not acceptable. Let's say a surgeon mm. as a mm-hmm. surgeon, you probably don't want to be like, ah, it's okay. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's good enough. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the good sure. enough is probably not what you want to do when you're working with someone's, you know, you're, you're putting a stint in, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it'll work for now. We'll see them in two weeks. But yeah. in our, in our industry, like you said, the, every minute of that hour is about the person in front of you. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not about you. If you want it to be about you, change careers, change something else. And there's a lot of different ways you can really, you know, show your, uh, show your worth and your value. And sometimes it's when you dummy down things or you modify or you've reflected on your own practice and you made modifications. And then all of a sudden you're like, hey, this still works, right? This works. It may be just at a different runway, a different position on the runway, but, mm-hmm. but it works. And then that's still something to be proud of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> like, I think uh, one of the things that you said earlier as well, like being able to even just admit, not just to ourselves, but to our client as well, that we don't know. Mm-hmm is also a really essential, essential tool to be able like to be comfortable, uh, in not looking like, you know, the guy that has, or the guy or the girl that has all of the answers, but being able to humble ourselves in front of our client, like, listen, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I'm going to look into it and perhaps even, you know, I can't find the answer to this question. I don't know. I think you'd be better served by working with someone else. Mm -hmm. And some things are just way outside of you know, a trainer's realm, yeah, like completely outside. Like for me, anytime someone comes in and they have like, um, they have mental health issues around food, peace out. I got my, I got my list of people yeah. and I'm like, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm going to get you in contact with this person. You need to contact this person. They are trained in doing this. You know, I can tell you a hot dog's not good for you. 
and you probably shouldn't eat a lot, you know, and that, that I'm not going to go much farther than that. So when it comes to like fitness professionals and trainers, everyone loves pushing. You need to know nutrition. You need to know nutrition. Well, you need to know how to coach people and make suggestions about good food, bad food. I, I think that's a standard, mm-hmm. but you do not need to know, you know, the psychological effect of food because it's not our jobs for sure. But you need to have systems to put that out. So when you talked about your magic school, you never mentioned nutrition. I thought that was like, ah, good, good. You know, we think alike in that scenario there. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, and I think, I think a part of that also is to be very honest, I think it's a part of my bias. Like I find nutrition coaching for me, it's just, it's, it's not something that I've uh, developed a high proficiency with over the years as well. So I would say that that's definitely uh, like, it's one of the reasons why I refer out, as you know, Mm-hmm. to, to get help, like, and to get people that are better at that stuff than I am to be able to help my clients with it, because it's like, I'm not going to waste your time with like suboptimal information. Like if you'd rather, like, if you really want to optimize this, go talk to this person, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll, we'll figure out how that'll work within your plan. Um, but, uh, yeah, like it, it, it takes, like you were saying, like you mentioned the ego thing, like we, we need, we as an industry individually and collectively, we need to be comfortable with not having all of the answers. Um, and, um, yeah. And sometimes that can be, that, sometimes that can hurt, you know, mm-hmm. like if our, if our sense of self and our ego is associated to being the best or the, you know, the best or the smartest or the fastest or whatever, um, uh, if there's any type of associations like that, that can lead to a high degree of reluctancy to admitting that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. you know yeah sometimes you know l- less becomes more it's the person in front of you you got to work with what, what they have what they bring to the table what you have you know a lot of times my clients don't really know details like it'll be like hey i got a podcast they're like i don't have the internet what's that i'll be like okay cool <laughs> don't, don't worry about it or it's like hey like uh like i coach people that you know win world championships and different events and stuff they're like oh that's cool they're like um how does a leg extension work like they just they don't it doesn't matter like it really doesn't matter to them. They would look at me as like, Hey, I'm unhealthy. I want to get healthy. Right. I'm going to commit to seeing you three times a week. How are you going to help me get healthy? And that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what matters for three hours a week. That's what I got to have my focus on. And it's always about them. You mentioned mm-hmm. earlier about, uh, we were talking a little bit off camera of uh, new, new trainers and they come in with um, systems. They got, you know, your basic levels, you start with a system because it gives you a blueprint, something yeah. to work with. Right. But yeah. you've created this internship, this coaching internship yeah. that, that then grows off <clears throat> that. Can you, can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, uh, for bringing that up. Um, yeah. So, th- I mean, the, the entire idea of the internship is that, like you mentioned, at the beginning of our careers, we need systems almost regardless of domain, you need systems so as to be able to get the ball rolling. But the human organism is just so, so dynamic. It is quite complex that systems eventually fall short. Um, I remember one of those first moments for me, like I had a client who had like tight hamstrings. He came to me wanting training to help with his tight hamstrings. I was like, oh, easy. We're going to stretch him. Mm -hmm. Um, He never got better. He, he never got better. And we did the stretching it, 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 in the gym and then also with homework. Was this um, the, uh, the PNF hamstring uh, from, from the old school books we used to read in the day? We Tight did. Hamstrings? Yeah, did I did. PNF oh, yeah, I did all of that. We did loaded. Uh, we did loaded stretching. Um, you name it. I tried it. And uh, yeah, and it didn't work. And then that was actually one of the things that led to me asking different questions. Um, and so the, the internship is very much rooted in that. It's that like, yes, these systems work for some people and the process of mastery really relies on us being able to get comfortable with nuance and to think outside of that box, to, to become capable at detecting when does those systems, when do those systems work? When are they really appropriate? When are they perhaps the best thing for someone? And then also when is it the right time to be you know, to, to deviate from them a little bit. Um, and for us to be able to do that, we need to understand the components that influence our decision-making. And like we've talked about before, like, I really believe that a good understanding of functional anatomy, mechanics, neuroscience, as well as psychology are like, in my mind, the four primary domains that as uh, fitness professionals that we need to become comfortable with, we need to be comfortable with the, it depends to be able to manipulate those things artfully to create custom solutions for people. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's really what it's all about. You know, it's a 16 week program. Uh, we have uh, 
calls once a week plus Q&A calls twice a month um, and interactive experiences to promote critical thinking, to promote problem solving, to get fitness professionals more comfortable with thinking outside the box to be able to deliver better results faster, which ultimately from there, you distinguish yourself as a trainer and you make a great career. You love what you do, et cetera, et cetera. It all flows outwards from there. Very cool. So it sounds like this is not for like, if someone's listening to me like, Hey, I want to be a personal trainer. They, they'd go this route. This is probably for someone who's like, Hey, I am a personal trainer. I work in the fitness industry and I've just been doing the same thing for a while. And I started questioning things. So I have questions I never had before. I just don't have answers. Yeah, that would be the ideal candidate for sure. And honestly, anyone who has a growth mindset, anyone who's open-minded, open of spirit, that's willing to think and to challenge what they believe is true, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And the little caveat to that is that I don't pretend like I know everything either, you know? But the Mm -hmm. one thing that that I I have a, a talent at, I think, or a knack as a as an instructor is being able to challenge people so that they can find their truth, you know, um, why, not why just you, forcing mine on them. Why don't you give us a little example about challenging, maybe a common thing that most people think is, is standard, whether you are an exerciser or you work in fitness. Mm. Uh, can you repeat your question? Sorry. Could you, could you give us maybe an example of something that you might challenge? And because I've heard you do this so much on everything, <laughs> like you'll challenge a standard, something that we all think to be true, whether you are an exerciser and it might be like lunges are the best thing for your butt, or you're a personal trainer and you might be like, you always have to stretch your hamstrings. What's a standard that, that we all think to be true that you've said, Hey, have you thought about it this way? I mean, so one of my, one of the, the funniest, like, I would like myths or whatever, when it comes to fitness industry is the whole knee over toe concept or debate. Mm. Um, that it's either, you know, that your knees shouldn't go past your toes or that your knees should go past your toes. And I think both of those concepts are damaging. It really, it really depends. And so if someone has a fixed belief that, um, you know, your knee shouldn't go past your toe because that's what they've heard or read in the literature, or perhaps it worked for them. Um, I would perhaps get them to do a lunge and we would look at their front leg and, you know, they're keeping their knee behind their toe and everything's great. But then what I would also do is I would point to their back leg. And it'd be like, yo, your knee in a, in a, in a lunge, your knee is quite literally a foot and a half in front of your toes. And you haven't even acknowledged that other leg. So let, <laughs> let's talk about that. Yeah. You know? Um, so if the knee over toe thing that it's, that it's quite literally like noxious for the knee, if that's true, then your knee would have exploded a long time ago. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, have you seen the knees over toes guy, Ben Patrick? Yeah. yeah. That guy's crazy. Like. Yeah, his, his knees like they travel states. He's in the <laughs> yeah, yeah. They 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 go they go far. Yeah, and, and you know, and his knees have been blown to shit. Mm-hmm. Like he's had multiple surgeries, and he was like the candidate. And they're like, yeah, you just you just got to stop like walking. That's that's a bit much for you. Can you for walk sure. and just not bend your knees? Like mm. that's where he was. Yeah, yeah, and now he does. You know, like sissy squats from an elevation, bringing his kneecaps to the floor. You know, oh, he, he stands it's crazy. He stands. Yeah. yeah. He stands and he kisses the knees. I saw him yeah. do it like in the side of a pool. He kissed the water and stood back up. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable. And I mean, it just, it sheds light on our adaptive ability, but then also on, on the flip side, it's also, I think not true that everyone's knees should go past their toes. Like, I think it's possible mm-hmm. depending on where people are at in their progression that either never or in within a short period of time that it might actually not be the right thing for them right then. Like you think about someone who's like fresh off the table from, from like a grade three ACL tear, like them doing what the knee over toes guy does um, or has been doing for the past few years. If they were to hop off the table and try that, my guess is that the outcome might not be ideal. It's yeah, like, 100%. that's possible, you know? So any fixed belief for me is like, all right, cool. Let's talk about that. And let's poke holes in it. And let's get really, really comfortable with the, it depends so that we can think through problems in contrast to just giving blanket statements and answers to, you know, the, the, the problems or the challenges that we're presented with, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. So yeah, I mean, the knee over toe one is really interesting. Um, I've heard people say, you know, shear is bad for the spine. And I'm like, cool. Like, let's talk about that. Are we, which section of the spine are we talking about facet joints? Are we talking about like the, um, like the intersection of a disc with, uh, um, with the vertebral bodies, 
like which section of this of the spine are we talking about shear being bad and then also let's talk about the fact that we can't avoid shear that quite literally joint motion requires it so is it is it bad can you walk without moving your spine anyways you know there's there's a there's a lot of questions that you can take that just kind of poke holes in some of those narratives that get to that get people thinking a little bit differently and mm -hmm. and like we were talking about before it's when you can do that it creates a really fertile ground for learning until until things start to become challenged a little bit um yeah there's re there's really very little room for growth mm -hmm. and i love that about you and anyone who's uh, who's worked with you that's like one of the first things they say you know what tn says this i'm like yeah he does he, he challenges that <laughs> and, and, and he's the guy to do it because he put the time and the effort in learning about it. As you mentioned very much in the beginning, how yourself, you got to a plateau and then that's what led you onto your journey of learning. And I would use this word for you, not everyone, obsessed. When yeah, you, it's when accurate. You, yeah, when you, <laughs> no, when you want to learn something, you become obsessed with it. And mm -hmm. uh, no offense to anyone out there, but you, like, if you want to work with an expert, you want to work with someone obsessed. You don't mm -hmm. want to work with someone who's like, I'm into it. You know, it's, it, I do it for fun, right? You want yeah. that, the obsessed person with it. So Thank that, um, that internship starts when? Uh, so we're scheduled to start September 1st. There might be some delays. It might be pushed to October 1st, but we're really aiming for a September 1st start date and it'll okay. be starting at 7 p.m. Okay, perfect. So what we're going to do is we're going to link all that information into uh, the show notes here. So anyone who's interested, and if you are, uh, it's CEC accredited too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're oh. going to get, I believe, four CCs, which is the max I can give. Uh, through Canfit Pro. So and that is, that as well. if you are a personal trainer certified through Canfit Pro, that is what your requirement is per year, per mm -hmm. year. So if it's um, put through there, if you work for like big chain companies, you have some education allowance as well. That's not a bad spot to spend your money. If you are at a position where you are now thinking by asking questions rather than you're just learning new systems for the first time. So I'll, I'll put all that stuff in there. Um, Etienne, I, I really appreciate you coming on here today to do your little thing, to talk about what you do. If you were to talk to a, a brand new exerciser going into the gym for the first time, what's one piece of advice you'd give to them? And then if you were to talk to a brand new trainer, what is one piece of advice you would give to him or her? Oh, okay. I love that question. Um, so for a brand new exerciser, I would say find something that you enjoy and that you can repeat and start there, you know, start to fall in love with the process a little bit, you know, relinquish your attachment to the outcome and just start falling in love with the daily process of moving and investing in your health. Even if it's someone throwing tennis balls and you chase them down. Yes. <laughs> if, you, if you love it, you know, like, I mean, I would, I would say that that might be a, a, a lesser evil than, than sitting down all day. You know, mm -hmm. I think that has the possibility of being a lesser evil. When it comes to, when it comes to fitness professionals, what I would say, uh, and like I have said to my past trainers is I would say, we're going to start off learning systems, but you need to be comfortable eventually discarding and challenging all of this. So it's like, yes, we're going to start with systems and we'll give you something right away. So you can hit the ground running and don't get too attached. And I, and I think that that's really essential. I, I think we're, we're very good, like we were talking about before, giving systems, but we don't often preframe the fact that eventually you need to move beyond it if you're going to make this a career. Um, so I would preframe that. That's what I would Super say. Super powerful stuff. You're powerful I, stuff. Oh, man, I wish I, that was my nickname. Chris, powerful <laughs> stuff, fudge. Oh, it doesn't work. Stuffed fudge? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there, but uh, it's not too late if you want to change things on your birth certificate. <laughs> e, thank you so much for coming on today. You. Um, you are always a, a spot of sunshine in my life um, on, on the internet, on the cell phone, in person. Um, very lucky and happy that you are in my circle of, of best friends, and I'm glad that we can... You, we can have our conversations that we have all the time now on the podcast. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today. So thank you. Uh, dude, um, thank you for that. And thank you so much for doing this. Um, I know a, a lot of the people in your life and I know the amount of lives that you've touched. So thank you for the work that you do and for the tremendous reach that your podcast has so far. Because so I know you're just going to keep killing it. Phenomenal stuff. Have a great day, buddy. Thanks, man. You too. Ciao. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, 
We will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it. Thank you.